standing for the reading of God's word. Psalm 119, 49 through 64. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. This is the word of the Lord. With that, I want to invite you to open in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11 is where we'll be uh, during our time today. I do want to say thank you for everybody who came early uh, today for our Equip Sunday as we continue to try to get more people involved in the service of our church. <clears throat> I hope it was beneficial, uh, even if you didn't learn anything maybe new, that it may have been a beneficial thing for you just to spend time with your brothers and sisters in Christ because uh, we are such a young church, and so that's one of the things we don't have. We don't have a lot of time with one another still yet, and time is required when it comes to making deep and meaningful relationships. So I hope we all want to jump on every opportunity we have to spend time with one another, even when it doesn't feel like the most interesting thing. But I do want to say from the bottom of my heart as your pastor, I thank you, thank you for continuing to serve, uh, and for all of you who, who really do take that extra step to make these things happen. Um, so with that, let's look in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Uh, let me go ahead. I want to read verses 8 through 11 of Exodus chapter 20. It says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Today, we talk about the Sabbath, the day of rest. And before we even do that, we come in here recognizing, if you pulled the room, the reality that life is hard. When I talk to most uh, adults, at least, my four-year-old might tell you his life is pretty easy. But when I talk to most adults and I just ask them, like, how are things going? I never hear somebody say, I am just really refreshed, rejuvenated. I feel great. I have a ton of spare time. And I am just so productive in all the things that I'm doing, right? What are the things that we tell each other over and How are you going? I'm tired. I'm busy. I'm stressed. 
In American culture, it's almost like a badge, a badge of honor. I mean, if you're not busy, then you must be lazy is kind of the way our culture would have this be. And so we run this kind of rat race of working really hard, and we should work very hard as Christians, but we almost take this pride in being overworked. And what ends up coming is we start talking about life, and the reality is, is life is really hard. What I want us to see in our fourth command, and the fourth command that God gives his people— is that it is an invitation to rest, to rest in him. The Sabbath day and the fourth command is maybe, for, for me so far, it's been the most difficult to craft a sermon for because it's the one that has changed a bit. What I mean by that is we look in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, the word testament just means covenant, that the promise that God made, that it was this promise of, of works, obey or be punished. And I will not, if you obey, then I'll be your people. Versus our New Testament, our new covenant in Jesus, which is Jesus has obeyed on your behalf. And so believe, and in him, all the works of the law are fulfilled. And in him, we have a relationship with God. We, he is our God, and we will be his people. And in the, the, the new covenant and the old covenant, the words that we sometimes use, we talk about those things, is there is continuity, meaning it continues. There are things that remain the same, and there is discontinuity, meaning things don't always stay the same. And so we can think from Old Testament to New Testament. We've explained that in the very beginning, right? We talk about the ceremonial laws. Nobody this morning got ready for church and thought, oh man, does, what fabric is this made out of, right? Probably not. Does it have two fabrics or not? Well, the Old Testament forbid that, and yet we see in the New Testament that these things have that kind of thing as discontinued, that's fulfilled in Jesus, these ceremonial aspects of the law. And in keeping Sabbath, we see some of that happening. For one thing, you've already admitted it because you're here today, and today is the first day of the week. Today is Sunday. It's not Saturday. And even as we read that passage, what did it say? Six days you labor, and on the seventh day is the Sabbath. So there's already an acknowledgement, if you're just here in a part of a Christian church, that you're okay with some discontinuity between the fourth command and how it is obeyed today and how it was obeyed then. Yet, what I still want to advocate is that the rhythm of weekly rest, the rhythm of, rhythm of weekly Sabbath is not only wise and profitable for us, but it's something that I think it, God is inviting us into as he invites us to rest in him and we'll even see that we get to Sabbath even all week long because our rest is in Jesus. And so that's what we want to see, and that's the argument that I want to make. I want to make the argument to you. What I want to encourage you is that you would have a weekly rhythm of rest in your life. That's where ultimately we're going to land today, even though we're acknowledging that there's some discontinuity, that there's some things that are just a little bit different from the way that these things got celebrated in the Old Testament and now what we see in the New. And we'll even address that kind of thing like what day we do that. But before we can really get there, before we can talk about what it looks like to Sabbath and the New Testament sense, we've got to work our way through the passage a bit. We've got to work through and figure out, so what was the goal of the Sabbath? And how do we even define that? And that's what I want to do first as we work through really the entirety of the passage. I want to talk a little bit of this, the mechanics of Sabbath. What I mean by that is like the how. How did that actually happen? I want to talk about how that actually happened in the time of Israel and then to bring that into our day a little bit. What does this actually look like? What are the mechanics of, of Sabbathing in, in today's kind of environment? What we look like? And finally, what we want to conclude with is the work of Sabbath. 
the work that Jesus has accomplished when we Sabbath, when we take a weekly rhythm of rest and we see the wisdom of that, what gets changed? What gets accomplished in your life? What are you able to delight in? Because after all, that's the whole point of this series, right? That we might delight in the law of God and that we would see that his unchanging character is displayed to us. That even though some of the specifics around Sabbath have changed because they've been transformed or fulfilled in Jesus, that God has not changed. That God is yesterday, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is no different. And this God that invites people to rest once a week is still the God who invites us to rest in him today. So with that, let's take a look at the goal of Sabbath. And we'll work our way through verses 8 through 11. There are two things that I want us to see from the goal of Sabbathing. And right there in verse 8, we kind of see both of them, and then they get unpacked in the, in the following couple verses. And it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And we'll get to the rest of uh, verse 10 here in just a moment. But what we see there, right there in verse 8, stated really plainly, is to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. And so those are the two things that we're ultimately going to see, that we want to cease or stop and then keep holy. That that's the goal of Sabbathing. See, the word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word sabbat or Shabbat. In, in Jewish people today, even will still practice this. It starts usually on Friday evening. It lasts about a 25-hour period of time. It'll end, they'll break Sabbath at the end, and, and there'll be no work, and it's, they'll go to synagogue. And there's a lot of different rules that certain Jews follow that others don't. But, but the agreed-upon thing, I think what we really see in this text is what sabbat means, that Hebrew word, is stopping. It's a verb for stopping or ceasing. To no longer do your normal labor, to stop what you did for six days so that you might keep it holy. Now, ceasing on the Sabbath, even here, even in the fourth command, and Jesus gets to this later on, was not to be done in such a way that jeopardized the well-being of other people. So even in this agrarian or kind of a farming-based community, there were still things that had to happen every day. You don't get to tell your lactating animals, well, I'm not going to milk you today. That would have been cruel. It would be very painful for that animal. Somebody's got to go milk the cow or milk this animal on the Sabbath day. You, you don't tell people to just like go hungry on the Sabbath day. But we even see that God, when he made manna fall from heaven, ensured that enough fell on the sixth day so they wouldn't have to go out and collect on the seventh, but that they would be well fed, that this is a part of what it looks like. Babies still have to be cared for on the Sabbath. Moms didn't just get to say, it's my day off. Just lay there and cry, right? Like they wouldn't do that. They still cared for these babies. If their ox fell in a well or something terrible happened even to an animal on the Sabbath, everybody knew that it was right and good to go and save the animal, to not just leave it there, to die, let alone for a person. And these are things that Jesus points out in Luke 14. He even uses that example when he's being challenged about what it means to cease on the Sabbath day. That when he is challenged, he brings that up. How many of you, if an ox or a sheep to fall or be in danger. You would not fall into a ditch. You would not go and pick it up and rescue it. So much more as, a, as a, the value of a human being. That Sabbath was still a day to be meant for doing good. We see as we move a little further on in our verse that it was a day of ceasing and stopping from the everyday labor. 
But it was also something that was extended to everybody. It says in verse 10, it says, On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner within your gates. And this is a huge thing. This is the kind of countercultural thing that God would have done. All around these places, people like servants, uh, women, uh, these, these, these foreigners, people on, these, on the outskirts, marginalized people. If I didn't want to work, I would just make one of them do it. That's the way of the culture around them. They would have passed that on to somebody else. They wouldn't have freed them to take a day off. But here you have this massively countercultural thing as the God of the universe stands before his people and he says, your servants also get the day off. Your children get the day off. You can't just put them to work because you don't want to. Men and women, even your livestock, and even the foreigners and that are in your gates, they're all going to have this. And so it's this extended Sabbath rest that's meant to be a blessing to everybody and everyone. It's the inclusive nature of this command is, is a huge blessing to the people of the time because they would see... But they would be blessed too. We even see this get fleshed out in things like Exodus 35, 3, that tells them not to kindle a fire on the Sabbath day. I would argue, we, we, we see uh, today, like um, there are certain, um, certain groups, groups of Jewish folks who won't turn on a light because when you flip on a light, that sparks or start their car because your spark clubs spark. And they would say, Exodus 35, 3 says, don't kindle a fire. But if we look at that contextually, it's talking about Fires being used in dwelling places, often used to prepare meals that are very laborious to make. It's very difficult to make that happen. And you know who would have been doing that? Were women. And so this society that, that we see that is led by men, and we're thankful for that. We do believe here, and we see that in the New Testament, husbands are to lead their wives, but they're to do it in an honorable and loving way. And so even in Exodus 35, 3, I would say when it's saying, talking about not starting a fire, it's not talking about if you live in Ohio to just freeze, right, on your Sabbath day, you just turn off your heater because it's got a pilot, right? That's not what I think it's, it's saying, but rather it's saying we need to ensure that we're doing what we can to see God's blessings bless others. The blessings that God gives us even beyond the Sabbathing, are meant to bless others as well. And that's what we want to see happening. And so God is giving that provision in Exodus 35, 3, in that cultural moment to say, listen, guys, just because you want a hot meal on your Sabbath day does not mean you get to just work your wife. No. Prepare something cold. Be helpful in your own home. And ensure that you're leading in such a way that everyone is enjoying the Sabbath. And that's the point. I think that's the goal because it says to remember the Sabbath, to remember the ceasing, and everybody's supposed to do that and that we are supposed to do that to keep it holy. That the point of Sabbath is to, to focus on the Lord and to grow in holiness because in verse 11 we're told, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day and therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy holy. We are to keep holy what God has already made holy, or at least Israel was to keep holy that which God had already made holy. And he roots this argument in creation, 
that in creation itself, God works for six days. And God, who needs no rest, he doesn't get tired. But God, to point us to Sabbath rest, to point us to, to better things that are still yet to come, rest on the seventh day. Genesis 2, 1 through 3 tells us, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his works that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is an amazing thing. All throughout the world today, we see that human beings work in such a way that we revolve around these seven-day cycles. We, we do seven-day cycles, but we also have 24-hour day cycles. We have month-long cycles that are roughly four weeks. We see quarters that roughly correlate with seasons and climates like ours, and we see years. What's really interesting about all those things is we can see in a lot of ways there are these outside natural phenomena that are happening that are governing these things. See, a day is just the amount of time it takes the, the earth to rotate on its axis. That's, that's what we're able to see. A year is the amount of time it takes the earth to revolve around the sun. A month is roughly the, the phases of a moon, though we've kind of gotten away from lunar calendars over time, but we still kind of kept that around, this, these cycles that we see happening. We even see that in our seasons, that around us there's these natural realities of harvest and planting that kind of govern farming communities like what we have in Ohio. But when it comes to the week, there's really no natural phenomena that really drives that. There are some really ancient Near East cultures that we see kind of pick up on that. And the best we can tell is maybe they were just dividing by four, their 28-day cycles based off lunar calendars. But yet throughout the world, there seems to be this common understanding within human beings that we kind of function in these seven-day rhythms. And I would suggest that maybe, just maybe, it's because God created the earth in six days, and on the seventh, he rested. That this natural rhythm of a week that we experience is ingrained into us because we're made in the very image of God. And we are made in this way, and God has chosen to make us finite, to make us need rest. And that's what we see, that, that perhaps that it is helpful for us once a week to take a day and remember the Sabbath. But we want to do that remembering the goal of the Sabbath in these two concepts, that we are to cease and to keep it holy. So that's the big picture that I want us to walk away with before we talk about the mechanics of the Sabbath. What's the point? Even in the fourth command, even in the old covenant, was to cease and to keep holy. And that's the part that I believe where there's continuity. That's what I'm going to argue is continuing on, is that there's this understanding of ceasing for the sake of holiness, but we'll get there in just a minute. So let's talk a little bit about the mechanics. What does this actually look like? Well, I think there's two passages in the Old Testament that helps us look, see what was it like in their day in the Old Covenant. And then we'll look at some New Testament passages and start to look and say, okay, so what does it now look like in our day? What does that mean? So first would be Leviticus 23.3. And it says, Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. 
Oh my goodness, I'm sorry. I skipped a line. That was really important. Six days you shall work, work shall be done. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. <laughs> and so within that, what we want to see, what I want to pull out of this verse, is that even in the Old Testament, even the assumption of, I, I think that would have gone with the fourth command, is that this solemn rest was not happening by themselves. But the solemn rest that happens is to happen within a holy convocation, or another way to say that would be a sacred assembly, a gathering together. That when we talk about Sabbath, and even what we bring over into us as the New Testament, we are bringing that from Jewish traditions of gathering together once a week to hear from the Word of God in their synagogue. And we brought that into the New Testament church. And I think wisely, and I'm very thankful, that Sabbath is meant to happen in community. Sabbath is not something that's just all by ourselves, right? So our desire a lot of times is like, we want to define Sabbath and ceasing as like Netflix and chill, right? And I think that's what we have to try to get away from if we want to try to really understand what is, what is going on here and how do we continue to Sabbath in the New Testament sense, knowing that some of this is fulfilled in Jesus. So we've got to understand that one, this is, that the plan has always been to be in the body of Christ. That when we Sabbath, we Sabbath together. When we come together, we come together for a sacred and holy time of a gathered assembly. And that, then that's what Ultimately, this looks like what we do now here on Sunday mornings. But at the same time, what we want to see is while that was happening on Sabbath, that even in the Old Testament culture, that Sabbath was a day to gather, but every day was still a day to worship. So in Deuteronomy 6-7, uh, Moses has given them what's called the Shema, this kind of most important command, the one that Jesus talks about later that says, honor the Lord God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. And this is what he says after he gives this massively important commandment. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So he's talking about the Ten Commandments we're giving in Deuteronomy 5. He gives the Shema in Deuteronomy, beginning is 6, and then he tells them that. So when are they supposed to be meditating on the Word of God? When are they supposed to be living it out, teaching it, doing these things? Every day. Every day we're supposed to be doing this. Even in the Old Testament, every day was a day for worship. But there was this one day that was set aside for a special gathering of worship, a holy convocation, as the ESV put it, or a sacred assembly where we all come together and we gather with each other. Exodus 31, 12 through 17 says this, And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbath. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you or make you holy again. God has made the Sabbath holy in his creation. We keep it or honor it, remember it as being holy when we set it aside or set a day aside. Ultimately, we're going to see that's fulfilled in Jesus. And it's a sign for these people. So everyone around them is still working. Every other culture doesn't do this. Israel shuts down for the day, but no one else around them does that. And it's a sign, and they're able to see we're different. We're different than the world around us. It says, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death, and whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. 
six days shall work be done, but the seventh is a day of solemn wrath, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Thankfully, that's a really good example of discontinuity. Right? No one's like putting anybody to death because of that. But why? Why is nobody being put to death for failing to uphold the law? Because somebody has already been put to death for it. That's what Jesus did. Jesus fulfilled the law and he went to the cross and he died on the cross for working sinners like me and you who just can't stop. But that's the good news, right? That's the good news of the gospel. That is obviously not happening today, but why? Because Jesus has already died. He died for it and then he rose again from the dead. And we get to live in such a way that we don't have to go around putting people to death just because they work on the Sabbath day. But we get to have the joy of knowing that Christ has died for us. So even when I fail at this or any of these commands, I get to live because I'm in Christ. Verse 16, it says, Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, and on the seventh he rested and was refreshed. And so here, again, we start seeing what is the point of Sabbath as we're unpacking it. We see people are gathering together. We're supposed to cease from labor, working together. It's a sign that we're different from the world, or at least Israel is significantly different from the world. And it is a sign for when? For forever, between me and the people of Israel. And again, it gets rooted in the creation of the world. Now, as we look at this, we can call out some discontinuity, but then I want to call out some things that are still the same and are fulfilled in Jesus. And how this sign ultimately gets to fulfilled. The sign that is fulfilled forever is going to be in Christ. We just sang that song. All the promises you make are what? Yes, in Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to see. So I believe this passage is being fulfilled in Jesus when he raises from the dead. But first, some things that are obviously different. We've already talked about capital punishment. Praise the Lord. We've already kind of talked about even the day of the week. Why aren't we gathering on Saturday? It says six days work, seventh day, Sabbath. Seems pretty straightforward. Well, what happened, which is really amazing, is Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday. And in that, he radically changes everything. He rises from, on the, from the dead on a Sunday, and Christians, Jews and Gentiles alike, began to celebrate what they called the Lord's Day on Sunday instead of the Sabbath day because they saw that that was being fulfilled in Christ. This beautiful thing. Have you, you ever thought just the, the awesome storytelling ability of the God who governs all things that he dies on a Friday just a little before that Sabbath rest begins and then he's in the grave and he rests dead in the grave. But then he accomplishes the work. Six days he labored and he cried out on that Friday, that sixth day, it is finished. And on the seventh he rested. He was laid down in the tomb in the grave. And, and to the outside world it looked like he had been defeated and lost. But that wasn't true. Because early on Sunday morning, remember we walked through that passage in Mark? Early in the morning as the women went to the tomb, God did an incredible work. 
and he rose Jesus from the dead. When he did that, he conquered sin and death forever. And he even conquered the law, the law that pronounces death over us. That if you work on this day, you're supposed to be put to death. is no longer binding on us in that way because Jesus has fulfilled it. And so Christians at that time began to worship and gather together on the day of Christ's resurrection. So to commemorate the resurrection, they didn't throw away a special gathering, a holy convocation. They didn't throw away the sacred assembly. They said, the sacred assembly, why would we ever get rid of that? That's just not the way a New Testament Christian thought. They loved to gather together. That's what they desired to do. That's usually what they were being kept from doing by the persecutors around them. But they began to do that on Sunday, but not everyone. Not every Christian did that. There were Christians who still really struggled, particularly Christians coming out of the Jewish tradition, who said, but it's Saturday, and that's what I've grown up doing my whole life. This is what we do on the seventh day. Don't you know that's the right thing to do? And there began to be a squabble in the church. What day are we to, to celebrate these things on? And Paul in the book of Romans Chapter 14, verses 5 through 6, writes this. It says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. And so he's talking about two things that were happening culturally. You had Christians eating uh, meat sacrificed to idols. And there were some Christians that were saying, that is pagan. You cannot do that. You should not eat this meat. You, you, that is, you're, you're joining in with the world. There's no difference between you and the world. And, and you're, you're doing this thing and, and people aren't gonna know what this is about. And you had others saying, no, listen, we're, we're able to be with these people. We're sharing the gospel with them. It's meat to a fake God. He's not even real, but the meat is real and it tastes really good. I want to eat it. And Jesus, you know, Peter saw the veil. We know we get to eat all this stuff. It's, it's wonderful. Let's celebrate our Christian liberty. There's other things of the day. There were some, no, it is Saturday, six days he labored, seventh he rested. We will celebrate and gather together on a Saturday. And others say, but he rose on the Sunday. Let's gather then. And Paul says, let each be convinced in his own mind. Paul doesn't come in and say, I'm the apostle. I'm the one who writes on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Meet on Sunday and cut it out. Eat the meat or don't eat the meat. Instead, he encourages brotherly love and affection over these legalistic demands. And I think he starts to show us a picture of what true Sabbath really looks like. True Sabbath fulfilled in Christ, looks at your brother or sister in Christ when there is a conscience issue, an issue of of, uh, difficulty of understanding what is the right thing to do and says, let each be convinced in his own mind. But whatever you do, when you observe the day or you eat the meal, do it in the honor of the Lord. The one who abstains, abstains to honor God. And says, I, can't, I have to abstain from this because I believe this is the best way for me to honor God. And the others partake. They partake because they say, I want to honor God. And this is the best way for me to do this. And what Paul's encouragement that we just read from the scriptures is to love one another, to let each be cons- uh, convinced in his own mind. And so I think these are the kind of things we talk about Sabbath of other questions that aren't necessarily 
black and white in the text. Can you watch football on the Sabbath? I've heard of Christians who say you shouldn't do that. Can you do yard work on the Sabbath? Listen, as a pastor, sometimes yard work is the most fulfilling thing I get to do all week. Because a lot of my job, you just don't get to see a lot of fruit. You work really, really hard, and you just hope it's sinking in. But there's something about mowing grass, all right, where I get done, and I turn around, and it's done. And I did it, and I feel like I accomplished something. There are t- don't take that away from me, right? It's just, there's a reality to that. But am I sinning if I mow the grass on a certain day of the week? What if I have to work a shift on a Sunday? We have people here in the medical field. I already kind of alluded to this earlier. I hope there are Christians in the hospital on a Sunday if I have to go there, working really hard, doing the right thing, and taking care of sick people. People don't just stop getting sick because it's Sunday. So I think this really strict, like you're not allowed to do this ever in any case scenario— it starts to not really capture what was originally commanded even in the fourth commandment. Even in the fourth commandment, Jesus is able to point to them in Luke 14 and say, mm, if somebody's dying, you're just going to let them die? And they're like, ah, no. And they're able to do that. This is what we see happening. A helpful document, it is, it is fallible. There are things in this whole document that I don't agree with, but this particular question and answer I find to be very helpful. It's in the Heidelberg Catechism of 1563. And it asks this question, and it's kind of devised in this question and answer uh, way. And it says, what, what is God's will for you in the fourth commandment? And the answer is this. First, that the gospel ministry and education for it be maintained, and that especially on the festive day of rest, I diligently attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, to pray to God publicly, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. I find that helpful because that's what we're trying to do here on a Sunday morning at Redemption Hill Church. We try to be a place where people can come in the gospel ministry and the education like today's sermon is being maintained that we come together and we attend assembly of God's people to learn what God's words teaches, to participate in things like the Lord's Supper, and to pray to God publicly like I just did for a mission of prayer, and like we just did, have Christian offerings that we utilize then to bless our community around us. Christians have been doing this for two millennia. I don't think we're going to stop anytime soon. They do it when they get beat up. They do it when they get thrown in prison. We have continued to gather. I don't believe we're going to stop gathering anytime soon. Praise God for it. The local gathering of Christians is a beautiful and wonderful thing. And I think trying to do that once a week, whether that be on Saturday or Sunday, and I think Sunday is one the day in our culture, it is a good thing. And I do think we should do all within our power to be here on a Sunday morning if you're a member of this church. I don't say that legalistically. We have people here today who are doing those things I just talked about. They're caring for people. And I'm glad and I'm proud that they're in our church and that we have people impacting the world. But we do want to see that God, that whenever it is possible, that we are gathering together. But then second, and we're finally, I've been alluding to it, getting to where Jesus really brings this thing together. Second, that every day of my life, I rest from my evil ways. Let the Lord work in me through his spirit. And so begin in this life, the eternal Sabbath. See, what the catechism is showing us 
is while I think it is helpful to have this weekly rhythm of rest, that in the life of the Christian, for those who are found in Jesus, that Sabbath can happen every day. Because every day, we're able to put to rest our sinful ways. And every day, God is doing a work in us that he comes alongside us to do. But in him, we find our rest every day. And it points to a Sabbath that is still yet coming. A rest that is just above the horizon. Well, one day we will enter into his rest forever and in all eternity, which we call heaven. That's what Sabbath points us to, and it helps us realize. You see, in our passage this morning, Sabbath has been rooted in creation. But in Deuteronomy 5.15, it was rooted, and this is the giving of the Ten Commandments again, but this is the part that is actually different. Moses roots, roots it instead, under the inspiration of God's Spirit, fully God's law, in the story of redemption. It says this, "'You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt.'" And that the Lord your God brought you out from where, uh, brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Israel is told to keep the Sabbath, not just because God created in six days and rested on the seventh, but because God has given them rest from their slavery from Egypt, their work that was binding on them. As Pharaoh drove them into slavery, God redeems them and rescues them out of it. As we look to our life now, we can know we are saved and brought out of the slavery of sin and allowed to then work and live in the freedom of knowing that the debt has been paid in Christ. We are redeemed. We're free. And that's where Sabbath happens every day. Colossians 2, 16 through 17 says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. See, what the Ten Commandments do and what the Sabbath day does is it points us to the Lord of the Sabbath. It points us to the one who is coming to bring Sabbath to us for all time and forever in Jesus. They're just a shadow. But the substance, the substance belongs to Christ. True Sabbath and true rest isn't found in a day. True Sabbath, true rest is found in Jesus which is why I think it's so important, as I encourage, I still think it's a wise thing to take a day, a week, to focus on the Lord, is that second part of the, first command, of the fourth command, keep it holy. That we are pursuing holiness and pursuing Jesus, and we know how am I made holy? Not by my works. It's God who sanctifies us. It's God who makes us holy. It is him and him alone. See, often when we're asking these questions of what I can or cannot do on the Sabbath day, I think we're probably asking the wrong question. We're looking at it the wrong way. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus points to his disciples. They're walking through a field and they start plucking some grain because they're hungry. And the the Pharisees look to them and he says, why are your disciples doing work on a Sabbath? Because they were forbidden at the time from harvesting. And so this looks like harvesting. They're just walking through and Jesus points out two things in the Old Testament. He points out a time where David was on the run in in fear for his life, and they were like starving to death, and he eats bread meant for the priest, that that he's not a Levite, he's not a priest. 
and he eats this bread and he even gives it to his, his uh, fellow soldiers and they eat this bread that's supposed to be made for priests and God holds them guiltless because God sees that it's better that they eat this bread than starve. And he points to David and he says, listen, that bread wasn't meant for David, but it was meant for David. They, they were starving and God, God would rather see them not die of starvation than fulfill this, this law because it's all pointing to something else. And then he also points out the priests themselves. The priests themselves on the Sabbath day would still give sacrifice or would still uh, help conduct sacrifices and, and worship in the temple. And he's saying they're held guiltless. And then he says this in Matthew uh, 12. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, one, that's a huge claim to deity. You're telling these Jewish guys that you are Lord of the day that they honor once a week. That's a big deal. And he's saying, I am God when he says that. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, but he's saying that these things are more important. And so Jesus, I believe in Matthew 12, is saying, listen, they're hungry. And it's better that as they're walking that they pluck a few grains and eat it than go on the rest of their Sabbath day being hungry. That that is what's better and right and good. Because in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, which is the passage that precedes Matthew 12, it is right before it. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The point Jesus is making is that in him is where we find rest for our souls. It's by taking on his yoke and yoking ourselves together with him and taking on his burden that we find rest. And that the point of the Sabbath isn't, what can I do? How many steps can I take? Is it okay if I sweat? Can I go swimming with my kids? Can I? And it's more about, am I resting in Jesus? Is today a day that we see is the right thing? And so, can you watch football? Can you bake? Can you mow grass? Maybe. That's the best answer I get. Maybe. I don't know your heart or your circumstances. In doing those things, are you finding your rest in Jesus? Because I, I want to be careful just to say, yeah, you're free to do it all. And I just want to say careful because, man, it'd be a really terrifying thing for you to look forward to the end of your week and say, you know what I just can't wait for? Oh, I just can't wait for a football game. Oh, I just can't wait because that new, that new show that I love, it released on Netflix. Oh, that's where rest is found. That's where rest is supposed to be. Oh, and just mowing the grass just to see an accomplished thing be done. These things can cry, creep up the throne of our hearts and they can become ultimate. And maybe, maybe in your life, you need to take a break from those things on your Sabbath day of rest, whatever that looks like, so that Christ is the main thing. Maybe, but let each be convinced in his own mind. If your brother in Christ wants to watch the Bengals play, sorry, Greg, <laughs> that might be okay. It probably is, right? Because if your brother in Christ is looking at it and saying, Jesus is my rest, 
and I can enjoy all the good gifts Jesus gives me, which includes football and food and fun with my friends and baking and the great British baking show. As my wife looked at me because she watched an episode last night when I said the Netflix thing. That that's okay, that these are good gifts and every good gift, where does it come from? It comes from above. It comes from the Lord. It's not wrong. It's not. But it can't be an ultimate thing. When it becomes an ultimate thing, and we find our Sabbath, or we find our rest in it, that's the problem. When I was in high school, I had this dream, uh, not a realized dream, and maybe it was far-fetched the whole time, but I had this dream that I just really wanted to play college soccer. I desperately wanted to play college soccer. Now, I knew I wasn't going D1. I mean, I'm small, but I just wanted to play college soccer, and I really gave myself to that. I, I drove everywhere all week long. I practiced all the time. I'd go out in my garage and try to get 100 touches every night. I remember doing that. I just had this dream. I really wanted to play college soccer. And the way that that environment works, at least at that time where I was lived and growing up, was your high school team didn't matter. No college coach cared where you played high school soccer ever. What they cared about is where you played your competitive league soccer. And where I lived, competitive league soccer met and played on Sunday afternoons. And so I was so committed to doing this. I really desperately wanted to, to play college soccer. So I, I made this competitive team and I was going to go and I was going to play for this competitive team that met on Sundays. And it was about where we played our games was at least 45 minutes from our house. At the time, I'd started doing some music stuff at my little rural church. And, and at first, my dad said, hey, yeah, you can do both, right? All these things that we've been saying, you're free to do it. I don't think you're sinning if you play soccer on a Sunday. But the reality was, is over time, Things started happening. You see, the games would be further and further away, and my coaches became more and more demanding. I remember one time I was late for a game because I stayed for church, and my coach chewed me out in front of everybody. And I had to sit the whole first half. After driving 45 minutes to play, he made me sit. And I remember that happening, and, and that, that happened, and, you know, it just kind of goes with it. My dad said, you know, hey, well, welcome to being a Christian. Sometimes these are the things we do. And, but as it went on, my heart get, kept just getting pulled further and further into this dream of playing college soccer. Which meant, because this is how our hearts work, is it kept getting pulled further and further away from what I was meant to worship and love, which was Christ. And my dad did not come to me and he did not say, you're forbidden from playing on Sunday afternoons. But he just came to me and he started asking me questions. He helped me examine my own heart and where I was at. He challenged my trust of God, of if this is what God wants you to do, do you think this is what this looks like in your life at this time right now. My mom was sick. I kind of shared those things. It was getting really hard on my family. There's a lot of factors that come in. And I tell this story to say, at the end of the day, we decided that Sunday afternoon soccer was not a good and godly decision for me at that time. And so I stopped playing. And when I did that, I knew a, a reality, a hard reality was I was not going to play college soccer. That when I stopped playing in that league, I lost all the scouting opportunities. I lost anything on my resume that might get me in front of a coach. But it was the decision that me and my dad came to together, and it was a good and right one. As I stand here as a pastor now, I would say my, the things I learned on Sunday mornings serving from church benefit me a lot more than playing soccer.
my advice to you as we learn from the scriptures, I would say is that we want to see that there is a weekly rest to be had rooted in Christ. And that these decisions of what I should and should not do, the mechanics of it all, can be kind of complicated. But we want to look at the full breadth of what the scriptures teach on this issue. And as we do that, we want to look and see that this is what it looks like. And, and we want to try to make wisdom-based decisions, loving each other, and seeing how this all works. See, I am now to say I learned to delight in not playing soccer on Sunday afternoons. It was a good thing for me and for my family. But that's my hope for you is that ultimately I want to see you delight in the Sabbath because I do believe it will accomplish much in your life because the Sabbath does work. Our final point this morning, and it's much, much shorter, I promise. I want to look at three things that the Sabbath does. Number one, the Sabbath, if you take a week, uh, uh, if you were to commit yourself to a weekly rest of Sabbath, of what it looks like to gather with other Christians, to be here when you can, to spend time leaning into the Lord and His work, to cease from your normal labor, here are three things that will be accomplished in your life. Number one, Sabbath reminds us that we are never enough, but God is always enough. When we planted Redemption Hill Church last fall, I worked 21 days straight. My wife was super pregnant. My uh, youngest never slept and just screamed all the time. We were weary and we were tired, but I was so driven by the fear that we weren't going to make it. And so I just kept on working. And I kept on working. And I grew tired and irritable. And, and I couldn't keep going and I worked, and I worked, and I worked, and I worked because I just wanted to make this church plant thing happen. What I needed in my life in that moment was repentance. I needed grace, and I needed some rest. My wife needed me to repent and show grace and provide her some rest. And so over time, we did that. Our lives look a little different probably than the average person. We can look at the, what a day looks like, but Sundays, you can believe it or not, are not exactly uh, super restful in my life. And so around that time, we had to realize that this just isn't going to work. And so Friday became family day. Every Thursday night, I get to reflect on the reality that I am not enough and that that is Okay. Because Jesus is enough. That our church does not need me. Our church needs Christ. There is always more work to be done. Always more work to be done. But I just want to encourage you, but by faith, you're taking that day that says, I'm going to rest today. And as I say that, we don't have a strict, I don't have some kind of insanely strict uh, thing. If you need me on a Friday, you call me on a Friday, and I will help you determine if I will be there. <laughs> there are times people call me on a Friday, and I say, man, I will be there tomorrow. And there are times where the ox is in the ditch, and I will be there, and we will trust the Lord with all of that. There are times that I have been known to write a community group question, or six, as Leland likes to make fun of me all the time. 
because it's just not a very big deal. It takes like five minutes, and it's easier to remember to do it then in the moment than to try to remember it the next day, right? That's okay. That's okay. If you need to reach out for me for things, you can do that. I don't share this to say, like, I'm so special. I need to guard this day. What I've just had to learn was I'm not, a, I'm not enough, and I don't have to be. And that's the freeing good news of the gospel, that Jesus is enough for our church, and that I can take one day a week and take Judah to a park, and that we can be hodwokos together, as he says, as we do some project around the house, and I let him use a drill. These are things that we just get to do as a family, and it's good, and it's right. So what Sabbath will remind you is that you're not enough, and that that's okay, and that is good. The second thing is when we take a day to cease from our labor, we take a day to remember God's past accomplished work, his working and making the world in six days and resting on the seventh. His working and rescuing Israel from slavery. And of course, his wonderful, beautiful, and amazing work that he cried out, it is finished on the cross and the work is accomplished. We don't have to do it. You are not redeemed on your own, but Christ has done it. And it's done and it's accomplished. And you get to take a day and rest. And in that day, I want you to rest knowing the work is finished. The work is done. Your salvation is secure as long as you are in Christ. You're saved not by your works. You're saved through your faith in Jesus. The last thing that we want to see that it accomplishes in our life, how Sabbath works, so the work of Sabbath, is it points us to a future promise. That this isn't the end. See, what's so great about taking that weekly rhythm of taking some rest is you remember that a better more true, more full rest is coming. Because of what I had to learn, even this week, as I prepared this sermon, my rest days were not very restful. That's nobody's fault. I have young children, and sometimes young children are just not restful. And that's the reality of my Friday this particular week. Not every Sabbath is going to look perfect And that's why we have to be so careful that we get caught up in the super strict adherence and this is what it's supposed to be and I gotta do that and I can't do these things and I can't do these things. No matter what you determine in your own mind, what it looks like to rest and ultimately rest in Christ, I got news for you. You're gonna mess it up or other people are gonna mess it up. It's gonna go imperfectly. And we have to remember that this is not the end, that this is not where true rest is really going to be found, that rest for our souls is found in Jesus. And one day, according to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, it says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. And that's what I want to encourage you, is there is still a Sabbath rest coming for the people of God. And it's not here yet. There's an already not yet reality to most, uh, to all the promises of Scripture. Sometimes your Sabbath days are going to be really restful and wonderful. Sometimes your pastor is going to preach for too long and it's not going to feel as restful. But that's what we want to see, is that we would strive to enter this rest. So my hope for you this morning is simply this, is that you would see that Sabbath is ultimately fulfilled in Christ, that he is the one, that he is Lord of the Sabbath, and that we no longer have to work to try to be right with God, but he has done their work for us. It's fulfilled in him. And that in this hard and harsh world, you have a Savior that bids you come 
and find rest for your weary soul. That's the beauty of Sabbath. That's what the fourth commandment shows us of the heart of God. This is the heart of God. He looks to his people and he says, come and find your rest in me. And that's a wonderful and beautiful thing. Let me pray for us and then we will sing. Father, we thank you for rest. We thank you that we can just admit that we're not enough. But God, we know the good news that you are enough. Lord Jesus, I thank you for all that you do. And I ask this in your name. Amen.